growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. I bet if we went around the room today, gave everybody 30 seconds to share what are your circumstances like right now, I bet we'd be blown away with like, I had no idea. Joy is above that. Joy. Now there's a word that most people think they understand, but few people seem to agree on how to have it. Followers of Jesus should understand that there is a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness tends to be temporal, based on circumstances that can change faster than the latest craze in kids' toys. Joy, however, is a more permanent condition that is really more spiritually based than most people realize. You can't find it over the counter. You can't find it behind the counter. You can only find it through the cross. See, it's peace through God, peace in the midst of all the that you're going through. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We continue our Christmas season series today by taking a look at the shepherds and the joy they experienced when they were visited by the angels. The night probably started out like any other night for them, but as the story unfolds, we discover that it ended up as anything but ordinary. 400 years before the event happens, God says the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Listen, that in itself ought to bring great joy into our lives because what it says to you and me is that God keeps his promises. If you can, open your Bibles with us today to Luke chapter 2 and follow along as Pastor Clay shows us two sources that can bring great joy into our lives. Now here's Pastor Clay. looking at uh, some of the characters from uh, the Christmas story and uh, some, some characteristics or traits or truths that, uh, that we can see in their lives and their encounter with God and what that means for us. Glad you're here today. Really appreciate it. Appreciate your singing this morning just to the glory of God. Uh, such beautiful uh, music. I love, I love music, love music in general. I've said many times before, I'd be a Christian if it was just for the music because I just think we have the best music. I think we blow everybody else's music away. Um, and, I'm, and I'm probably bragging when I say that. I don't care. <laughs> I, just, I just think music about, about God is just uh, amazing. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to get to do it. It really is a, a privilege it's one of the things that, uh, that I think I can safely say, it's one of the things that brings joy into my life. I, I enjoy, some of you know, I took up guitar a few years ago. I'm not very good at it, but I, I have a few guitars, and uh, I'm good at collecting them, apparently. <laughs> uh, not real good at playing, I'm good at collecting them. But I, I enjoy playing music, I enjoy listening to music, and, and I think I can safely say that it's one of the things that does bring joy into my life. Now, uh, in Christian circles, uh, we tend to distinguish uh, between happiness and joy, don't we? We're usually pretty quick to distinguish, oh, happiness is not the same as joy. And, and, and that's true. That's true. I, I think happiness is, is not the same as joy. Uh, I think there may be some, some, overrun, uh, you know, some, some connection when we talk about joy and the happiness that's in, involved in that. But generally, we tend to say that happiness, uh, while it's not a bad thing, uh, it is a circumstantial thing. In other words, it tends to be based on my circumstances. Uh, if, uh, if things go well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of happy, I'm up. If things go bad, then I'm, I'm, I'm kind of down. And that happens to us, right? There's kind of some reactions. And, and that, that happiness, while it's not a bad thing, it is a temporal thing. It is a circumstantial thing. And it is oftentimes a fleeting thing. Joy, on the other hand, we tend to say... Uh, is, is more substantial, it's more sustained, it's more lasting. It's something that is based 
not within our circumstances, but, but it's based outside of our circumstances so that no matter what our circumstances are, and I bet if we went around the room today and uh, we gave everybody uh, 30 seconds to share what are your circumstances like right now, I bet we'd be blown away with all some of the stuff that people, if we all got real honest and we said, well, this right now, here's what's going on in my life. I bet some of us would just be blown away with like, I had no idea. Joy is, is above that. I want to spend some time talking about joy uh, this morning and looking at uh, part of the Christmas story where joy is talked about and where joy is displayed and what we can learn about joy from some shepherds. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, open to Luke chapter 2, please, this morning. Luke chapter 2. We're reading uh, what for many people is a very familiar account, um, but because it's one of those stories that tends to only be read at the Christmas season, it's something you just, you just never grow tired of. As a matter of fact, I think it would seem incomplete if we didn't read these, these parts, that Christmas story. If you didn't read them at Christmas, something would seem like it was, was missing. Even growing up in Florida where we had no snow, I, I, only, only snow I ever saw was you know, on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer uh, cartoon or something, you know, that see the snow, but I didn't even know what snow was. Uh, but, but I knew this had to be, this was part of the Christmas story. This had to be, had to be told. We're in Luke chapter 2. Uh, now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in their fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased." When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back 
glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that a great story? All right, let's talk about a a, a couple of overarching truths that we can learn about joy from this story. I have some other things to say underneath those two overarching truths, but let's look at a couple of overarching truths. The first truth is this. You find joy in the knowledge that you have a Savior. Somebody really should say amen. You find joy in the knowledge that you have a Savior. I won't read verses 8 through 14 again. I I just read that. I will hit pieces of it here in a few moments. But uh, one of the great things about the Christmas story is that you can really see uh, how God is working. You you can see how his plan is unfolding. Uh, Most of you guys have probably lived long enough to know this truth. Sometimes... I don't have a clue what God is doing, right? What God, what in the world is going on? We have so, it seems like so many of those circumstances in our life where we're just not sure what in the world is going on. So for me, it's really neat to see uh, when a story unfolds and we can understand what's happening. But a lot of times in our lives, we, we don't know what's going on. And so we have to what? We have to make this choice. And this choice is called faith. We talked about Joseph last week and this man of faith. We have to make a choice to say, even though my circumstances don't look like it, even though I don't have a clue what's happening, even though I'm unsure what the future holds... By faith, I'm going to make a conscious choice to trust God in a situation. Roseanne Powell is coming up this morning, and she's going to share uh, her latest faith story with you. Roseanne, come on up here, and I'll give you uh, this microphone. Good morning. Um, I am the proud wife of um, William Darcy Powell, mom of Jessica, Kaylee, and... Um, Ethan, and the title I wish to be known by is that I'm a child of the redeemed king. I am nervous. (laughs) My husband is not here. (laughs) But um, a year and a half ago, I was having and living the wonderful life. I'm still doing it, but at that point, you know, there is time in your life. In that moment, everything is exactly how you imagine your life would be. Um, I was on the beach with my family. My husband was swimming with my child. I had one next to me. And Ethan was about in the water. And I'm looking out at him. And he dropped his pants and, and peed right in. Can I say that on stage? I can. <laughs> and their beach is packed. And his little cheeks are pink. And I'm watching. And I'm like, yep, this is, this is me. This is my life. And I love it. Um. Two weeks later, I was at a C2 Kids um, meeting, and as I was sitting there and we were talking, all the ladies sharing ideas, what we want for our ministry, I started to feel I'm, my right side is starting to get numb. Didn't know what it was. At the end of the meeting, I could hardly move my entire right side of my body. I didn't say anything because, you know, I, I don't want to say anything. Everybody get all excited. So I drove home, and I pulled up in the driveway, and I could not park the car. Bill had to, I had to call him and he came out and got in the passenger side and parked the car. I could not move. Um, So he had to physically lift me out of the car and take me inside. The next day we went to the doctor and he says, oh, it's just tendonitis. And I said, well, I don't know about that. He says, well, let's give you a shot. Go home. If it moves, if the pain moves to the other side, 
we'll do some testing. It did move. For two weeks, I couldn't comb my hair. Harley could do anything for myself. And um, the test came back as rheumatoid arthritis. Um, if you don't know, it's an autoimmune disease that attacks your joints and causes a lot of damage to your system. So went to the doctor. We started a drug. That did not work. Um, some days I can't drive. I can't do a lot for myself. And some days I can, and I'm thankful for that. But I changed doctor about a month ago, and they did testing, and we were starting um, to talk about a new drug called Embryol. Well, knowing our insurance and medical care in this country and the cost, my nurse called me and says, well, it will cost you $1,000 a month just for my drug. And I was like, okay. I got off the phone and started laughing hysterically because at that point, that's all I could do. Um, and I called my husband and I told him, and if anybody knows Bill, he's very quiet. He gets very quiet. And then he starts talking. And when he starts talking, everybody stops talking because he is, when it comes to his family, he's very protective of them. And um, in all the time that I could not walk or could not drive or could not take care of my kids or could not be a wife to my husband, God was constantly there. And in those times, I may not feel that it was a wonderful life, but in all my circumstances, God brought me back to the place where I, he was the only one I could rely on. Um, to, a week ago, uh, my doctor says, well, I'll sign you up for this program. I don't know if it's going to work, but we'll try it to help you with the cost of your insurance. So after the Wednesday before I made the calls to who all the insurance people and Emerald uh, Pharmaceutical Company, I was telling Pastor Clay that my mother-in-law came over, and at that point, I was in tears. I was like, what would I have to do to get the drugs so I can be a mom to my family and a wife and a friend and worship and come and help in situ kids? What do I need to do to get to that point? And I said to my mother-in-law, God just revealed to me that I needed to be strong now because Christ did not give up. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he did not say, he could have called the angels to relieve him from that, but he stood up for me. And how am I going to show the world or my family or my friends or people around me that I'm giving up on God who did not give up on me? And I needed them to know that in my, in my time of need, he didn't give up. I need to be strong. I need to show my faith. And live my wonderful life that he's given me. The next I called the drug company. I was on there for four hours in insurance. And they came back with the price I would have to pay for the embryo. And all through my talking, I'm praying through as I'm speaking to everyone. And they said, okay, Miss Powell, this is our bottom line. Do you want to know what your bill would be at the end of everything after it kicks in? My, our help and the drug company. I said, yes. He says it will be zero dollars. Uh, and I, and at that moment, I started, I started to say, are you sure? He says, yes. I just said, can you send me a receipt with signed receipt to let me know? Uh, because I, my husband would want that. Um, and um, I came off the phone and I cried and I knelt down and I prayed and I said, God, thank you. 
you have given me a reason to say to the people around me that you are awesome. You are wonderful. You're great. But I just wanted to tell all of you today, in the midst of our circumstances, your faith is what you need to hold on to. And I was sharing it with Pastor Clay when he talked about Joseph and believing the impossible. And he said, well, you need to share this. So I wanted to let you know, um, I brought my paper up because I wouldn't remember. You know, he had said, am I honoring God by choosing to live a life of faith in the everyday things of life? I only had one choice in my mind, and that was it. Choosing to live my faith in my everyday life, despite my circumstances. So, like I said before, my name is Rosen Powell, and I'm a proud child of the Redeemer, my King. Thanks, Thank you, Roseanne. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's a good story. Can I ask you a question? Uh, this has none. I mean, it's, I'm, I've still got a whole sermon to preach. What time is it? But Roseanne said it. it may, and I, I know what Roseanne's response will be, but I'm going to ask you all a question. If the report had come back, if the, the guy on the phone had four hours to come back and said, well, your total amount will be $1,000 a month still, could you still praise God? That's the question, ladies and gentlemen. How great it is when God steps in and intervenes, but how worthy he is of praise regardless of how our particular stories work out. I loved how Roseanne asked for the receipt. That's kind of like Gideon's fleece, you know. She's, that's, that was her fleece thing that she wanted. But the point is, it is living by faith in the everyday things of life, even when we can't see. But as I said a moment ago, I love those times when we can see. And in the Christmas story, you can see what God is doing. You can see how God is at work in this thing. Uh, Caesar, the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time, calls for a census to be taken of, of the domain of the Roman Empire, if you will. When you have an empire that is as vast as the Roman Empire was then, and you have an army as large as the Roman army was then, and you have a city as opulent and spectacularly beautiful as Rome was, it takes a lot of resources to keep all of that going. And so, Rome, like most governments, collect taxes on the people of the provinces that they controlled. They would collect those taxes to make all of those things work. Well, in order to collect taxes, you need to know how many people are available to collect tax from. And so, Caesar orders a census to be taken of the inhabited earth. That requires that Joseph travel back to Bethlehem, as, I, as I, I think I mentioned this last week, but it was just part of the way that they worked it. You had to go to the, to the residence of your, the established residence of your heritage, wherever your forefather came from. And David, was, or Joseph was a descendant of David, and so that meant that Joseph was going to Bethlehem. And the amazing thing is, and here's what I'm getting to in just a second, 400 years before this time where we are here this morning in, in Luke, 400 years before that, God had decreed that the Messiah, and some of you remember, I said this a, a couple of weeks ago, just for clarification, or if you weren't, her, weren't here, you may know, that Messiah, that that word means deliverer or savior or anointed one. It, it, you really can use any of those terms. 
in the Greek equivalent is Christ. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the, the Deliverer. He's, he's all of those things. But 400 years before we get to Joseph and Mary, God had decreed through the prophet Micah that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Look at the passage. It's in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. And his goings forth, don't miss that last part, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now, uh, you might think, well, uh, David was a ruler in Israel, so, so maybe he was talking about Israel. Well, the problem with that is, is that David was long since dead before Micah ever even came on the scene, before Micah laid down this prophecy. Micah also, as I said in that last part, mentions that the one that he's speaking of has an eternal aspect to him, that he's from the days of old, from the days of eternity. So 400 years before the event happens, God says Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And ladies and gentlemen, listen, that in itself ought to be a case to bring great joy into our lives. Because what it says to you and me, living today, not 400 years ago or not 2,000 years, but living today, is that God keeps his promises. God will do anything and everything that he has to do to keep his word. Word! I just think that is a sign. Because listen, I don't know if you've discovered this in your life or not. Maybe everybody that's around you is super nice. But so, so maybe this, will be, uh, uh, maybe this will be new to you, but let me just go ahead and break it to you. People will disappoint you. People will go back on their word. People will break their promises. People will lie to you. God never will. He always keeps his word. So anyway... <laughs> So anyway, Joseph and Mary have to make their way to uh, Bethlehem. By, by the way, I, just for you guys that are kind of anal about their love to know this kind of stuff, uh, Ephrata, uh, the word uh, just means uh, f- uh, fruit or fruitful. Um, it, it's, it's simply the region around which Bethlehem was. It would kind of be, it would be like us saying Raleigh in Wake County. It would kind of be the, the same thing as, as that, if you're curious about what Ephrata is. So, so Joseph and Mary have to make their way there. Now, Caesar thinks that this is about uh, a census that he wants to take. The hundreds of thousands of people that have to move around and go to their cities of heritage thinks that it's about taking taxes, but in the end, or, or taking a census for taxes. But in the end, this is really all about God and what God desires to accomplish. God said his, his son, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem, and that's exactly where he was going to be born. Now, let me, let, let me just remind you of why the knowledge that the Savior has come, that the knowledge that we have a Savior, why that is such, should be such joy for our lives. Let me, let me start w- with this one. First, because the Savior is universal in his invitation. Uh, did you catch that uh, last part there? I think it's of uh, verse 12. What, uh, yeah, verse 10. Yeah. I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for, say it, all the people. I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. The Savior is universal in his invitation 
to redeem. And, and, and in case you didn't know this, in case you're listening to this and you're not unsure, don't understand how this works, everybody needs to be redeemed. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I, I, I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings, but that's the truth. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. The Pope is a sinner. Billy Graham is a sinner. Uh, your saint of a grandmother is a sin. All have sin. Romans 6.23 then tells us the payoff of sin is death. The, the, you're getting what you deserve. Death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Eternal separation from God. The payoff of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everybody needs to be redeemed. And it is a universal invitation. But, and this is a big but, while it is universal in its invitation, it is not universal in its application. In other words, while Jesus makes salvation possible for any person, I I absolutely believe that's a biblical truth that it's taught, that he makes salvation possible for every person. Any person can be redeemed. But that doesn't mean that every person will be redeemed. And that doesn't mean that Jesus failed. Oh, didn't Jesus die for the, for the whole, whole world? Yes, it does. Look at it. John three sixteen. You're probably familiar with that passage of, of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, the first part of that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's the universal invitation. But the limited application follows it, doesn't it? That whoever believes in him, in the son of God, in Christ, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It is limited in its application. Now, I, I, I understand fully that that kind of teaching is probably never going to get me invited to be a a guest on Oprah's Life Lessons. But I I can't help it. That's simply the truth. And listen, I'm not throwing Oprah under the bus. I think she's a lovely lady and she's done a lot of good for a lot of people. But she is seriously screwed up in her theology. That's just true. Because because Acts chapter 4 says this, that there is that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It is universal in its invitation, limited in its application to those who will trust in Christ. But listen, what joy comes from the idea that, that anybody can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how, how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are or, or how famous you are or how obscure you are. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what your education is. Anybody can come to the Savior. What What joy that we should find in that. It truly is joy to the world. Here's another um, idea uh, that deals with this idea of of being limited. Yeah, okay, go ahead. The Savior is personal in his appeal. Universal in his invitation, personal in his appeal. I love this part. I love this part. Uh, In uh, verse 12. And this will be a sign. This is the angels, angel talking to the shepherds. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Have you ever thought about the fact that that sign means absolutely nothing to a butcher or baker or candlestick maker? That means nothing to them. But that sign means everything to a shepherd. 
It is personal in its appeal. The shepherds were basically at the low end of the social ladder. When you, uh, when you hang around farm animals a lot, you smell like farm animals a lot. I grew up on a dairy farm. Trust me on this. They were, they were probably usually dirty. They were most of the time smelly. And, and from that aspect, they, 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 were, they were unclean. In their religious practice and their culture of the Jewish tradition, they were also ceremonially unclean. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there's any way in the world that the innkeeper at the local Holiday Inn, if Joseph and Mary get in there, is there any way in the world that the innkeeper lets those shepherds into the lobby of his hotel that night? I, don't know, I think there's no way he lets them in. And you see, do you see how beautifully God works this thing? Now, I'm, I'm just guessing Mary and Joseph are kind of bummed out about the whole way this whole thing has gone down. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm speculating here. I'm speculating here based on my limited knowledge of the female psyche. But I'm, I'm just guessing that Mary was not a happy camper about having to give birth to her firstborn in a barn. And even Joseph, this, this guy we talked about last week, this great man of faith, maybe even Joseph is thinking something like, sheesh, God told me to take care of this child. I can't even find a good place for him to be born. But you see, here, here's a great truth for you to get a hold of in, in, in your life, ladies and gentlemen. God knows what he's doing with our circumstances. God knows what he's doing with our circumstances. Mary and Joseph didn't know what was going on, but God knew that the first person that he was going to deliver this message to were shepherds. And so, and so it works out that they have to go and basically give birth in a barn. And when the angel comes to the shepherds, the shepherds say, you're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, a manger, which is, which is nothing more than a feeding trough. That's all it was. And shepherds knew exactly where to find feeding troughs. You see, it's a personal appeal directed straight to the shepherds. And so... God in the flesh is birthed to the sound of cattle lowing rather than trumpets blowing. Born not in a palace, not even in a comfortable hotel room, but in a barn. In a plain, ordinary, common barn. So that the plain, ordinary, common people of the world could have access to the king of kings. It's personal. And, and listen, it's always personal. There may be some similarities. There's some things that in that, to know that what, who God is, know that we're sinners, to know that the cost of that sin is, is separation from him, to know that Christ, there's some, there's some common denominators, but how God comes to each of us is always personal. For me, it was, it was in a 1972 Datsun 240Z on a foggy morning sitting in the middle of Highway 441. And I knew it. I knew God spoke to me. I knew God said to me, it's time to decide who's gonna be in charge of your life. And I knew it. It's always personal. He came to Adam and Eve when they're crouching behind some bushes covered in their sin and their shame. He came to Abram when he was living in a, in a heathen land and, and took him and showed him a land that was going to flow with milk and honey where his descendants would, would be as numerous as the stars of the heavens. He came to Moses leading sheep on the backside of the desert because God wanted to use him to lead his people out of bondage in Egypt. 
He came to Ruth in her grief. He came to Gideon in his fear. He came to, to Peter and James and John while they were fishing. He came to Zacchaeus in a tree. He came to the Apostle Paul when he was on his way to arrest Christians. This is, is what God does. He comes to us personally where we are in our life situation. It's personal. And each of you in this room or each of you listening to this message that have come to a place where you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have a personal story too. Like I said, there's some common denominators, but, you, but it's just exclusively few. I think that is a mind-blowing subject, uh, uh, topic to think about, that God would love me enough that he would personally come to me and meet me right where I was. And I bet if you think about your circumstances in your life, you can think about it too and be filled with joy at that prospect. All right, let me, let me give you another one real quick. Um, he is intentional in his purpose. I, I'm, I'm skipping some verses for you this morning, but I want, I want, I want to get through as this as we can. The Savior is intentional in his purpose. In verse 14, look. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among, among men whom he is pleased. God was very intentional, ladies and gentlemen, in what he was doing. God was bringing peace to the world. Now, you may think, well, it doesn't seem like a very peaceful world to me, but that's exactly what God was doing. He was bringing peace. And listen, he was bringing, first, and this is, this is critical. He was bringing, first off, he was bringing peace with God. He was bringing peace with God. I, I, again, Oprah's not going to like it, but before you came to Christ, or if you have not yet come to Christ, you need to understand, you are an enemy of God Almighty. Say, what? Enemy? No way. You are at war with God. You don't believe me? Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 5, therefore having been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now let's, let's take the implication of that verse. So if I do not have faith in Jesus Christ, I do not have peace with God. Therefore, I am at war with God. Wow, that's pretty strong language. Wait, I'm not finished. Look at verse 10 of Romans chapter 5. For if while we were God, say it, enemies... Because of our sin nature, because of our rebellion, because we already established the fact that we all sin, right? All of us have. And that sin means that we are rebelling against holy God. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Yeah, amen. James, that guy, he's always cutting to the chase. Look what James says, chapter 4, verse 4. You adulteresses. <laughs> Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know, that, that's, that's just the truth. And Jesus Christ came to... So listen, this is, here's the mind-blowing part, all right? He didn't just come so that we would no longer have to be called an enemy of God. He came, he did it so good that not only are we no longer just enemies of God, we are actually adopted into the family of God and called his children. Unspeakable joy should be in our lives as a result of that. That I was a, I was a low-down, miserable, good-for-nothing, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner, enemy of God, enemy of his work, 
against all that, and God redeemed me. That's joy. He brings peace with God. Here's another one. He brings peace through God. Very intentional with why he came. Peace with God and peace through God. I don't know if y'all have noticed it, uh, but it's kind of a crazy, loud, noisy, fast-paced, mixed-up world in which we live. Have y'all noticed that? Christmas time especially, right? That's probably the calmest time of the year. Yeah, right? It's, it's, hey, look at this passage of Scripture. I'm sure I've read this before, uh, but it's just, it just struck me. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 15. Uh, in those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. Does that describe the culture in which we live today or what? Man, there is no peace in people's lives. There's no peace among nations. I, I understand that, yes, at times. Are, but you know what I'm saying. Overall, universally. And he came to bring, bring peace. It was through God that peace is made possible. It is a crazy world in which we live. People are, are, are overworked and overstressed and overanxious. And you want to talk about... You know, talking about a, a, a heavily medicated culture in which we live. We've got, we've got pills to, uh, to pick us up and we've got pills to calm us down. We've got pills to help us sleep and we've got pills to keep us awake. We, we've got, we've got uh, uh, anti-anxiety pills. We've got anti-depression pills. We've got, hey, listen, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm, not, I'm not against medication or the pharmaceutical advances that we've made in the world. I, I truly am not. I'm grateful uh, for the medications and the help that we have these days because these days are absolutely crazy. But I'm telling you, it just seems like, I mean, maybe it's just me, but nowadays everybody seems to have something, you know? Somebody's, somebody's uh, ADD or somebody's OCD or somebody's CCD. I didn't even know what that one was until I looked it up on Wikipedia. Y'all think I'm kidding about this. Y'all know what CCD is? Check this out. Considerable conduct disorder. I'm pretty sure all my kids had that one. <laughs> Come to think of it, I'm pretty sure I had that one. And my dad didn't give me a pill for it, if you know what I mean. But it's just, Wow. It's just the world in which we live. There is so much stuff going on. And in the midst of that, you and I can have peace. And I'm telling you, in the midst of all it, we can have peace. Can I just remind you, can I just encourage you with a few verses of Scripture this morning, beginning in John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. These are the words of Jesus himself. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Watch this. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. The world's going to give it to you in a... Pill. And again, I'm not, against, I'm, I'm not against pills or medication. I'm just saying, you can't find it over the counter. You can't find it behind the counter. You can only find it through the cross. That's, that's the only place that you can, you can find it. Uh, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be, would you say that word, troubled. Is your heart troubled this morning? Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Look at this one, Romans chapter 14. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace. And joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's, it's, you're not going to find it in, in, in the stuff of the world. I, I, it's not, and God's not anti-stuff, but, but you're not going to find it in a newer car or the next meal. Or in, it's not, you're not going to find it in that. 
uh, again in Romans 15. Uh, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Notice how those two keep running together in, in believing, that it's in believing. In Roseanne's uncertainty, it was in believing that she found that peace and that hope so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, man, that's good. How about this one, 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Have joy. Be in a state of joy. Rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. See, it's, it's peace through God. Peace in your life. Peace in the midst of all the that you're going through. I mean, you're probably familiar with this one, Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit, if the Spirit dwells in me, what the fruit, what the Spirit should produce in me, that's the fruit. What it should produce, what He should produce in me is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I've, I've used this verse so many times in marital counseling and, and with couples that are at odds with each other. And, and, I've, and I've talked to them about that ultimately, whether you realize it or not, the answer is not that he needs to start taking out the trash more or that she needs to start having sex more or that, you know, it's, that that's not, that ultimately the answer is spiritual. That when you, when your life, when I start producing that, um, rewind, when the Spirit of God starts to produce that in my life, because I'm submitted to him. He's in control. I'm laying it. I'm just saying, God, here I am. What do you want to do? And his spirit is producing that in my life. And his spirit is doing the same thing in my wife's life. Can you think of any scenario, any situation, any circumstance in your life that would be overwhelming to you? None. Nada. Zippo. Because if I got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, dude, I am good to go. All right. Uh, one more. Uh, Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing. What a good word. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the, say it, peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. I don't don't even understand how it works. I don't even understand how I can have peace. Do you know what's going on in my life right now? How does that happen? That's what God does. The peace that surpasses all comprehension will guard, protect your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Boy, that's a good word. Not from me, from God. That's a good word. Intentional. Peace with God and peace through God. That's what God desires. That's what the Savior brought into my life and your life. And that ought to bring great joy. Okay, one more, real quickly. Real quickly. You shall find joy in the knowledge that you can share the Savior. There's the second overarching truth. You find joy in the knowledge that there, is, that there is a Savior, and you can find joy in the knowledge that you can share the Savior. Let me read it real quick. I know we got, we got to close. Let me just read it. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement. Watch this. They made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back. They went back to their normal lives. They went back to the fields. They went back to the stuff that they had to do every single day. But I'm betting that their life was never the same again. 
But the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. Listen, I don't know if any shepherds phoned in sick that night, but if they did, they, dude, they really missed it. Because 15 minutes ago, they're just ordinary run-of-the-mill farmhands. Now they've been entrusted with the most important message in the history of the world. And it's been given to who? It's been given to them. Just go tell it. There is joy in the, in the knowledge that we can share the Savior, ladies and gentlemen. Notice the pattern real quick. Let me give you the pattern. Uh, they were told it in verses 10 through 14. The angel comes and tells them the good news. They were told it. They experienced it in verses 15 and 16. They said, let's, let's go see this thing. Let's go, let's go. They experienced Christ themselves. And then they told others about it in verses 17 and 18 and in 20. You get the distinct impression that the shepherds from that moment on couldn't shut up about what had happened in their life, what they had been told, what they had experienced, and what they were sharing with other people in their lives. So here's the question. The pattern is the same for us today, ladies and gentlemen. It's the same for us today. Somebody told us. It may, have been a, it may have been a teacher. It may have been a parent. It may have been a friend. It may have been a coworker. But somebody shared with you, if you know Christ as your Savior, somewhere along the way, somebody shared with you. You experienced it in your life. I've experienced Christ in my life. I, no, I didn't physically see Jesus in a manger uh, like the shepherds did, but I, I, I've experienced his presence in my life. I know that I've experienced him. So the only question becomes, am I going to go back and share? Am I going to tell others? By the way, notice the one thing about, I think it's in uh, verse 18, where it says that uh, all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Notice, look, look. They wondered at that. It doesn't, it doesn't say that they all got saved. It says that they wondered. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to make this easy for you. That's all you have to do. That's all evangelism is. You just got to make people wonder. What in the world is wrong with that guy? <laughs> no. Why? Why? How can they have joy? They're, they're getting a layoff notice too. How can they have joy? Her car broke down on the way to work today. How can she be praising Jesus? <laughs> It, it, is, it is our actions, it's our attitude, it's our, it's our words that we say. All of those things should make people wonder, what is it about their life? What do they have that I don't have? They may not all believe, ladies and gentlemen. They may not all believe, but they ought to all wonder. Here it is. Let me give it to you real quick. Two, two things you need to remember about this. We have the responsibility. Keep this in mind. We have the responsibility. No ifs, ands, or buts. If you do not, if you are not sharing your faith, and if you're not finding better ways and looking for ways to share your faith, you need to understand there is no wiggle room in this. There's no way out of this. There's no way to say, well, I, you know, I, I give so that missionaries can go and tell. Fantastic, but that's not enough. Let me, I, I, I got to give you uh, the book of Ezekiel, a passage some of you have read, a passage that ought to keep, quite honestly, ought to keep us awake at night. If I say to the, to the, to the, sinful man, you will die for sure and you do not tell him of the danger and try to turn him from his sinful way so that he may live, that sinful man will die in his sin, but you'll be guilty of his blood. I'll tell you, that ought to keep us awake at night. Unspeakable joy. We have the responsibility, but here's the thing. God has the results, okay? Listen, we're not in the saving business. God has a monopoly on that. We're in the sharing business. We can share. We can make them wonder. The results are in God's hands. Close with this. And then uh, Eric and Bree Claire are going to come and bless us with a, a special today. 
Let me close with this. In the book of John, there's this, there's this account where Jesus is uh, at, at, at the well and the disciples went into town to uh, get some food, get something to eat. And Jesus stayed there and a woman of rather questionable moral character uh, comes to the well and Jesus begins to engage her and she's a Samaritan. You know, it's a whole long story. But bottom line is Jesus leads her into a relationship with him and then she goes and tells all the town folks and they see such a change in her that they come out and they want to see what this is all about. It's a perfect picture of what we're talking about here. But when the disciples come back, the disciples are like, hey, uh, Jesus, hey, look, we haven't got this food. Come on, let's, let's eat. And here's what Jesus says, John chapter 4, Jesus says this. My food is to do what God wants me to do and finish his work. You're so consumed with the physical, not saying we don't need to eat, not saying the physical is not important, but he's just saying, that's not, that's not what I'm here for. Do you not say it's four months and yet uh, until the time to gather grain? Listen, I say to you, open your eyes and look at the fields. He's talking about the people as they were coming out from the town. Look at the fields. They are white now and waiting for the grain to be gathered in. The one who gathers gets his pay. He gathers fruit that lasts forever. The one who plants, watch this, and the one who gathers will have joy together. What joy in sharing the message of the Savior. What a night that must have been, don't you think? Entrusting ordinary shepherds with the good news was God's way of making sure that ordinary people would hear the news. And many people around Bethlehem certainly heard the news because those shepherds were not about to keep it to themselves. What joy should fill our hearts as we contemplate that the Savior has come and made possible eternal life for all of us. Like the shepherds, we should also find joy in sharing the news of the Savior with those around us. After all, as the angel said, this is good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.